Hello, my name is Sina Camilla and this is The Studying Block, a weekly conversation on science and society with an emphasis on disinformation, data and democracy. As usual, the transcript and credits for this conversation are available on the sidelines, the supplement to every main edition of The Studying Block. Now in the next lane, Clarissa Lee, an art science creator and researcher at the University of Malaya and fellow at the IC's Yusuf Ishak Institute for a sneak peek into her research on internet trolling and Malay social media. Ready? Let's go. Okay. So just very briefly, like have a, an idea of your academic work and how it's multidisciplinary and, and how it's interconnected in so many different ways. But I got to learn about your work based on um, particularly on your work on troll profile and behavior. And that was what interests me in your work. Uh, maybe we can touch on that, on, on your research interests and how it has evolved since. I got interested in trolls because I was actually looking at political trolling in, um, in the US as well as uh, during the whole Brexit thing. And initially, I didn't think it was relevant to Malaysia. And also because I was uh, my collaborator for that project, he's actually British. Well, his thoughts actually. So we have a lot of conversations on the politics and that in 2016 is when a work started in the beginning and I was collecting a lot of articles and following a lot of postings relating to initially it wasn't really about trolling, following a political discourse left and right mm. uh, in these two countries because there was this Trump that was declaring his candidacy and then there was Brexit that was happening or not happening. People didn't know yet. And then from there, I noticed there was also a lot of articles that started coming out about trolling. And I was curious, what does that mean? Because the only troll I knew was the one under the bridge, right? It was like the mythical creature. So, and I started reading out about trolling. And then, uh, and also as a sort of like an academic digression, and also as a stress reliever, me and my friend also started to use some of these trollish phrases that we use elsewhere to troll each other as well. Then we were thinking like, why don't we write a paper on trolling, which by the way was not even supposed to be trolling in Malaysia, it was just the idea of philosophy of trolling, which mm. was what we did. We actually look at the philosophy of trolling, we, even look, we look at philosophical works on trolling. So because my collaborator is a philosopher as well. And from there, I got interested in the connection between trolling and hacking, right? And I was basically arguing that trolling is the way of social hacking as well. And mm-hmm. in the age of cybersecurity interest, which by right uh, is an interest that has been around, but I think it's only gained mainstream interest in the sense that people with no technical interests suddenly became interested in cybersecurity, right? When it used to be just people with technical interests was interested. And I say that trolling itself has an important social engineering implication on looking at cybersecurity as well. And in fact, a lot of hackers, for them to gain information is by trolling. And trolling is not as we think it is. It's not just me going and cyberbullying you. People <laughs> miss cyberbullying for trolling, which is not the same thing. Trolling actually is a lot more like the puppet master. And usually they're invisible. And in fact, sometimes the cyberbullies are controlled by the trolls. They are not the same as the trolls. The cyber troopers are trolls in a mundane sense. It's a very mundane term. But if you want to go by the real technical meaning of trolls, they are not really trolls. Because their strings are being pulled. They are being told how to behave in a particular way. When they say told, it doesn't mean that, okay, everyone, you know, come listen to me. I have these instructions for you. It's not like that. It's more like, for instance, when I'm hacking something, right? I put a Trojan horse into your system and I see what I can gather about you. And then from there, I can launch an attack. So I don't actually tell you I'm going to attack you in a very open way, but rather I let you behave the way you already do and I use that against you. And that's basically how uh, trolls actually are able to manipulate 
mm. uh, cyber troopers. And that was interesting for me because when we're going through the different versions of the paper that we we're writing, there was also the 2018 elections coming up. And I was thinking it's interesting because for the first time, the, I think the opposition was launch, launching a major offensive online. Mm. They were also being countered by the incumbent. Because back then, I think there was a time when BN didn't really care about what going on online because there's so much control about for the rest of the rest of the media. But they also realized that they are now dealing with different generation of people who were probably like teenagers for the last election, but who are now young adults and who are able to vote. And they realized they cannot really rely on mainstream media because most people don't watch TV unless it's available on their computer, right? So they realized they had to attract a different uh, audience. And they also, I think they also bring in a lot more information officers who are young, or who mm. are part of that generation, who probably basically haven't changed the entire strategy of operation. And I think that's when trolling started to become a big thing in Malaysia in a very explicit way. Of course, you know, uh, there was... Invoke was using data from Cambridge Analytica. Uh, this is what Rafizi claimed. That got me interested, like how far is that reach of Cambridge Analytica actually for all the world politics? And then, of course, BN was hiring very obvious cyber trooper leaders who I wouldn't really consider are trolls because they are trolls, they're not very smart. But they still fulfill their function because technically for you to sway the crowd, all you have to do is create a bystander effect. You don't really have to be very smart. So from there, I also got interested in the bystander effect, which for me is a very important way of understanding how the trolling strategy is operating as well. So I hope this gives you a sort of like the technical background of my work. Yeah, and, and you touched a little bit on the relationship between um, social media use and politics and democracy within the Malaysian context. But I suppose um, specifically because of my research interests, as well as what you are currently working on right now that we've discussed prior to this conversation, um, you have a specific focus now as well on the Malay social media sphere which is which is very interesting i know that globally it, it may sound a little bit niche but i think it's what makes it um, interesting to examine maybe you can uh, share a little bit more on, on what you're looking at um the world is actually still sort of developing so i think the driving area of inquiry that, that's my entry into this but i planning to expand it beyond that is actually understanding so-called minority communities Right. Firstly, you think about the Malay language, just on Google Translate, it's probably one of the last language to be included. And even then, it still doesn't translate very well. No. But you think about how Google Translate is used on platform. Right. I was trying to look at some uh, translation of, because we have now more Malay people who type in Jawi. I can mm. read some Jawi, but I haven't been very consistent in practicing. So I can only read certain alphabets and guess what, the le- what that word is. But it takes too long time. It takes as much as trying to read Chinese characters for me to read the whole sentence. So sometimes to kind of like jump cut if I just want to see what the big picture is. I try to use their translation and sometimes they'll use either Google Translate from Persian, which is actually not even what Java is, or from Arabic. And I get very weird translations. Sometimes the translation just becomes a two-word thing. You know, it was apparently a long sentence. I don't know why they think it's a two-word thing. Maybe Google Translate is also confused. So I was thinking like with all this confusion and we know that um, a lot of technology right off each other. It's not like they create the whole new technology, especially for language translation, which is so complex. It's not possible for one platform to create their own technology to do that because mm. that will 
cost them a ton of money, you know, to be able to do it. And that got me thinking about, you know, what is the value of these communities for these platforms, right? Mm. And the fact that Facebook and Twitter are in Singapore now, not because they are trying to cater to Singapore, because Singapore is the best place for them to be, because they're actually trying to expand into the social, uh, sorry, the Southeast Asian market as well. Because they know that this is the emerging, I mean, a lot of the developed countries are already aging, so they are running out of young people, but there are still a lot more young people coming out and being born every day in Southeast Asia. And you think about all the minority languages that actually are present in Southeast Asia, right? There's more differences, at least even in Europe, even though they all have their own languages, but they sometimes do speak another person's language. But in Southeast Asia, Maybe English is a common language, but you can't say that's the case for every single person in that country. So a lot of times, it's like silos of languages that's actually happening. And that got me thinking, like, how would these people get amplified, given that probably the platform don't understand what they're saying? And I sometimes wonder whether, I mean, of course, they might say the right technique in Javi itself, maybe it's a nationalistic move, although, you know, it start from this whole uha over where about introducing Jawi back into the school system and people were protesting against that. And then you started to see people writing Jawi. Even for fun, I started writing my name in Jawi just to see whether that changes things for me as well. And, and now they actually have Rumi and Jawi going on. It's like, okay, I mean, is that going to mess up the whole machine learning platform? There is that. Mm. And, and I also was interested as to why uh, Malaysians, especially Malay-speaking audiences, think that social media platform is a good way for them to get together or to build a sort of critical mass for shared belief systems. And this happens partly a lot on Facebook. In fact, when I post on ones that I was going to look at, Facebook and Twitter, and this is when I was just starting out because I wasn't interested in Malaysian social media back then. I was just interested in the larger concept of trolling yeah. in the broader philosophical sense. They, I was told that, oh, you know, Facebook and Twitter is very different. Because back then, I don't follow pages unless it's related to my area of, like, hobbies. Facebook was actually more of a fun thing for me to be a troll sometimes, right? But it wasn't meant to be a serious thing. But I started following a lot of political pages, right, including troll pages, um, Malay troll pages on Facebook. And I realized, yeah, they are very right. And also, I was once uh, involved with some kind of controversy. I wouldn't name what it is because it also involves a friend. Uh, and he got into some trouble because he was making a comment that was on a religious holiday and I, I didn't know what was going on but I thought he posted something that I thought was cute so I was just commenting on that cute thing right and for some reason right I got screenshots together with other comments I wasn't even their target because there were a lot of more important targets in that screenshot that they were going after but I was surprised to see the screenshot with my little tiny inconsequential comment making the rounds and in fact uh, my friend actually got into trouble as well for that and that's when I actually learned about how things travel from Twitter to Facebook as well and I thought that was actually a very interesting thing and one of the things I also curious is I have a lot of followers from outside of Malaysia right and I find it very interesting that some of them who basically do not know any of these Malaysians started following them like in posts by Malaysians some of whom I don't actually know and because, tw- some, because now Twitter will show you the timeline, right, of who they like. And of course, most of the time, they like posts that are in English, not written in Malay. But mm-hmm. sometimes some of these posts, if you go through the nest, the nest, right, I mean, Twitter has so much nesting going on, yeah. you might find all posts might be in Malay as well. So it got me interested in understanding how the heck did language spread? You know, these are minority, so-called minority communities 
who I thought they're just talking to each other anyway. But I was surprised to see how that actually kind of like spread in a way. But I don't know whether this is a consequence of my location. If I were to move back to the US, would I still see the same thing? Or would I see it differently? Or maybe if I can borrow a friend's account, or maybe I can change my GPS location and say I'm in Atlanta or something like that, would that actually change? Or maybe I should create another bot account for me to just be able to track that. So that got me thinking, maybe Facebook and Twitter is actually slowly changing how the algorithms work to cater to all these minority languages which have inadequate translation ability. And of course, they still amplify a lot of the wrong things. They still translate everything wrong. But the fact that they think that is valuable and that is necessary, I think also, of course, uh, connects to, I mean, who they hire because I know Facebook have brought in like Malay translators and all that, but I don't think there are enough of them. And of course, there's always a conflation of Basa Indonesia and Basa Melayu as well. When for longest time, usually people are asking, do you have any uh, proficiency in Basa Indonesia? Right. So if I want to get a job as a translator, I have to know Basa Indonesia because who gives you that about Basa Melayu? But now they actually have a distinction between that. So I thought that was an interesting development. So maybe there is a value in the minority communities that the platforms themselves are seeing that also changes the way they are designing the platforms to appeal to these people and to get more and more and more of them on board. And so another thing that's interesting for me is the number of people who log into places like, you know, if they're on Facebook, they use their real names, you know, everything easy to understand. Of course, there are also some who use their weird pseudonyms. But on Twitter, they have very weird handles that are almost like very cryptic. You know, it's almost like, like your phone asks you, you want to use a strong password? You know, it looks like that. And it's like, okay, by the time I look at it, look at it, okay, I don't remember what was this person's handle, okay? Because it's like a series, like a random, like a number generator. And I will kind of click on them to see are they real people or bots. They look, they look like real people or they're really very smart bots. So maybe they're just bots with real people behind when they need it. And I actually wanted to look at this phenomenon a lot more as well. So that, as of now, is all I can tell you in terms of my foreign into because it's still very early. I would love to check check in again in, in the near future once you're further into it. But I also think that maybe we can touch a little bit just generally, especially with your background in, in more of the socio-philosophical elements of social media as well. There's certainly a difference in the Malay that we see formally like, uh, you know, in the news or in the literature that we read and the Malay that we write and read on social media. It's significantly different. How does that factor into all of this? I think the difference itself is already present already in earlier versions of social media, Web 1.0, if you look at a lot of forums that they post in. Originally, when I used to go to these forums, I look at a lot of Indonesian postings, and obviously the slang Indonesia is very different from the Bahasa Baku Indonesia. Sometimes I don't even understand what they're saying, even though I understand the Bahasa Baku Indonesia. And I think the Malays also started following in that form, right? Back then, they were not a lot, but they were. If you look at a lot of blogs, you will actually see languages like that. And interestingly, I once I was just typing out a word that a student was using, and then I got into a sex blog instead. And it was like, um, Malay sex stories, something like I don't remember the full title of it. So, and that actually already existed, and they just popped that over into Twitter. If you want to see a lot of slang, suddenly you have to look at some of the most crass and most uh, disturbing and also most offensive tweets, especially when they're targeting women, if they are like cyberbullying women. 
you can if you look at that, you will see that language coming up very strongly. And a lot of times I actually use that to determine the sex of the person speaking, even when they try to mask it. Oh, because you can actually tell sometimes the masculinity of the language. But also, of course, certain female gendered persons who sometimes adopt the language, especially if they are trying to hide who they really are. But I haven't looked into that in great detail yet. So I probably will need to work with the linguists on this because I'm not a stylistician, but I think there's a lot to consider here. And I think there are other people who are probably studying versions of it, but mostly in English. I haven't seen a lot of people trying to do the same thing in Malay. Maybe it has to do with expertise and how brought mind that they are as well so i guess in an ideal world what does good social media literacy look like to you especially as someone who you know examines this uh, day-to-day basis for work you can actually ask me that probably three months from now because i'm actually collecting data through this fellowship Mm. to really learn about what that means. I may have a lot of my conjectures right now, but they may be completely useless by the end of the <laughs> month because these are based on my understanding, which may not work with a lot of people. And also because uh, I will decide, are we going to go with the average person's understanding of social media to create the literacy? Or do you want to go with the ideal person's understanding mm. of literacy for people and then impose down the average people, right? So this is just thought experiment and we are just making out my own assumptions. But this is definitely something that I'm working on, which is why I took up this project. It's not just to study Malay social media on its own. It's not that useful. But mm. what can we learn from that and how we can create something that is empowering and improve agency of especially uh, marginalized groups on social media. Mm. And just for a wrap up, what trends um, should we be looking out for in terms of the relationship between social media and our democracy, I guess, in, in the general sense, um, especially now in the, in the prolonged period of lockdown because of the pandemic, we are relying heavily on social media for our communication, for our news, for everything almost, right? Well, instead of telling you what trends to look out for, I will actually look at behavioral changes because that will actually determine the kind of trends, mm-hmm. right? For instance, we used to say, you know, agents are happy to just share their private information with anyone or in century, right? They are willing to dox themselves voluntarily. You don't even have to dox them. But I'm, trying, I'm starting to see a newer generation of people who are actually very attentive to their privacy and to their own security, right? I think that's why there's also a growing number of people who go online anonymous. I mean, they don't try to do that random number generator anonymous anonymous handle, but they still go anonymous, but the handle has a meaning. But it's also a way to mask their identity because they know they'll be persecuted. If, you know, they're known, they'll be subject to trolling and worse. And I think this is actually more common among Malay people than I think other races is that they like to report people to police. Mm -hmm. So you say something they don't like on Twitter or Facebook, they'll report you. And sometimes in the process, you get your account suspended. I don't know whether there's a connection between the police and the... Maybe the police report to MCMC, MCMC report to the platform when they get suspended. Because I remember uh, hearing how uh, people of color in the US say they regularly get their account on Facebook suspended because they say something that white people do not like to hear. So I was thinking about something parallel for the Malay-speaking community, except that Malay people are saying something that other Malay people do not like to hear. So it's not like me being a Chinese person go and out them, but it's actually their own people, which also, in a way, help you understand the class tensions. I'm not sure whether religious polarity is something that uh, needs to be considered. It's actually not even my expertise, so I wouldn't 
look, go into that, but I definitely would like to look at how other people are studying, let's say, political Islam. And then for me, taking their work and seeing how that actually is really being played out on mm. social media. It's playing out in the same way. Because political Islam actually came about with the rise of social media in Malaysia before even 2.0, even during Web 1.0, when there were a lot of blogs, then in fact, Twitter was actually already present, but not Twitter as Twitter, but they were quite micro-blogging. So there were people who do short blogging, you know, like people who go to parties or go on some nightclubs or whatever, they'll blog and with photographs, right? So this proto-Twitter-like behavior actually already existed. But Malaysia used to have this site called Sopo, I think maybe it disappeared already. It's called Social Political Central. Right, it's like the hardware to collect all the blocks uh, that says anything political, basically, or anything of social cultural interest. My my old blog that's now defunct used to be part of that as well. That's how I discovered the site. And this man, I found so many political bloggers who, by the way, are just citizen people refer to them as citizen journalists because they were supposedly doing what journalists failed to do. Because back then there was only Malaysia Kini, even then Malaysia Kini was still developing, so it wasn't really really what it is today, right? And a lot of the other sites, even though they have like a, like what do you call that, a website presence, they were not really using the digital mode for publication. Yet you still have to go and buy their hard copy. Like even Aliran, right? You still have to buy the Aliran magazine. You can't go and read it online compared to what it is today. So, so yeah, I would say that it has changed a lot, but it's also in a way a reiteration with some new ornamentation and dressing of what actually was already present for, I would say, two decades now. Exciting space to be social media, especially for work like this to be done. So I'm really interested to continue following your work and I hope you'll keep me in the loop. I'll let you know when some of my writings come out. So yeah, you'll actually see it. And that's Clarissa Lee, a researcher at the University of Malaya and fellow at the ISIS Yusuf Ishak Institute on the starting block. If you'd like to join me on the show for conversations like this, get in touch at tenacamina.substack.com. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't, and if you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with someone. To the next one, goodbye for now.